All right, everybody, welcome to Magnifying God. I'm your host, Adam Michael. Today, we are finishing up the first section, the first section in Prepare to Overcome. Now, prior to Prepare to Overcome, a workbook came out that deals with the entire first section. It's wonderful. I actually have it in front of me. And it is a workbook that was written prior to this Prepare to Overcome, like I mentioned. And we're on the last chapter, chapter 11. And this chapter is entitled, Spiritual Mindedness. Spiritual Mindedness. And it starts out with a scripture verse. It says, Romans 8, 6. It says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And I'm looking at this picture that's on this chapter. And there's a white pawn, and it and they're staring. They're looking up. It looks like their their gaze is upon the king and the kingdom, and it's all illuminated. And that's the idea that we are to set our minds on the spirit, or the things of the spirit, this kingdom mindedness. We were all homeschooled, and I've said this throughout the entire series. We've been all homeschooled in the wrong home. And now, we're getting pottered by our Father. The only way the potter cannot potter the clay properly is if we are being stubborn, if we are caught in that other kingdom thinking and and theology and that way of life. And now the potter can't work with us, the true potter. So then we're getting pottered by the world instead of pottered by God himself which is who we've been created in the image and likeness of and how he's got a plan for us and a purpose for us. We need to be seeking him. He is the giver of life. And he is the epitome of love, the source of love. So this mindset that we need to have, we need to have, we've been given Christ's mind. We need to function out of that mind. We don't want to be double-minded. We don't want to have be double-visioned. The enemy loves to divide God's kingdom. He loves to put division. And it starts with our mind. He loves to divide our minds and what we're looking at. Maybe you're looking at the world a little bit, and then you go right back to God. Well, no, he wants us to be single-eyed. That's what God wants, our eye to be single and on him and only on him. And in that place of intimacy and in that place of getting alone with the Father in the closet, in that time of prayer and meditation, we then transform our minds so that we will know the will of God because we get to know him. It's like going into a restaurant. I know what my wife's going to order. Why? Because we're one and because I've spent time with her. So it's so important that when I go into a situation of ministry, which, by the way, is life, going in anywhere, that could be Walmart, that could be your job, maybe some type of leisure activity, a hobby that you do with others. There's ministry opportunities everywhere we go. Going to the marketplace. So, with that being said, we need to know the will of God. And Lord, what do you want? How do you want me to minister today? What does that show? Humility. You can't do anything apart from Him. You can't go in there and be like, that's it. Roll your sleeves up and be like, I'm going to just start praying on people. Yeah, that may, you may be doing those things, but are you doing them outside of relationship? And I speak from experience. And I speak from experience. It's all about being one with the Lord. It's all about seeking him and his face and his presence and taking his presence to those situations. Now, I can't stress this enough how the spiritual mindedness is going to affect how you walk. Remember, you are a spirit, soul, and body. The spirit is who you really are. That's your identity. You're seated with him. As he is, so are you in this world. Do you believe it? 
Because that belief system is your soul, is your psyche. And that's where the enemy has reign, or can have reign. He had reign over you, I should say authority over you, because you were born as an unsaved man. And then that authority that he had was taken out because when you became saved, now you are seated with him and now you have God's authority and his authority trumps the enemy's authority. So this whole process of what we've been walking through in this book is all about freedom. Freedom from the molestation of the enemy, freedom from that authority that we were once under. Now we have reigning with God in heavenly places. We have been given a purpose, a plan. If we go to him, he will reveal that to us. We are to pick up where Jesus' ministry left off. And it's so important that we get these things and these thoughts in our minds. And we don't let the world dictate who we are. We have an audience of one, and it's God. And we have to prepare ourselves for the times coming. It's a time of preparation. Because we want to get our minds right so we don't end up, let's say, like Peter. He steps out of the boat, but then he lets fear of the environment around him sink him. And that's why he's ye of little faith, trusting in God. Because his mind was still... Now, we're dealing with an unsaved man, though. We're dealing with, with Peter, who was not born again. That's why you cannot compare yourself to Peter. You have to compare yourself to Peter after life was breathed into him and after he was born again. So I can't stress enough the importance of this. This is one of my favorite topics of spiritual mindedness because it's all about how you think. What, what are you thinking kingdom or are you thinking kingdom of, kingdom of light or kingdom of darkness? God's kingdom, the enemy's kingdom. Because you need to have and be kingdom-minded. And he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has equipped you with everything. You just need to learn how to function. It's kind of like this. When you were born as a baby, we're talking a physical baby, birth, you're developing your sense of smell, touch, taste, see, and hear. Those are the physical senses. You also have spiritual senses that need to be de developed so that you can walk in maturity. And mature means perfect. To walk as he is. And that deals with thinking how the king thinks. And with that being said, we've got Debbie Simpson on the line. She is going to be walking you through uh, spiritual mindedness and this chapter. And honestly, if you've already gone through the workbook or read Prepare to Overcome, this first section, you're going to notice there's a lot of things that may be a little bit repeated. Well, that's because everything is, is flowing out of the one source, and that's Scripture. And everything cross-checks itself. So you could see a little bit of repentance in here, a little bit of kingdom of God, a little bit of rebuilding the walls, a little bit of authority. All these things are tied together with how you think and how you process things. It's a great conclusion, in my opinion, to the end of this workbook and also to the end of the first section in Prepare to Overcome. Without further ado, uh, Debbie, you there? I am. Good morning, Adam. Good morning. All right. Yeah, we're talking about uh, spiritual mindedness, and I would love to hear your take on it. Um, actually, the God's take. It's it's from the scripture, and I know that you um, are a uh, very well-versed in scripture. So feel free. Take it away. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, um, I'm going to be totally in agreement with you in that as we close this first section of Prepare to Overcome, the topic pertains to the mindset of believers, whether spiritual or carnal. 
Every chapter leading up to this final one, as you said, has been liberally peppered with what would characterize being a spiritual man or spiritual minded. The second part of this final chapter discusses that which pertains to being carnally minded. Um, for the reason I want, and that's what I want to talk mostly about today. The if if one gets rid of or empties himself of all that is carnal, then by default he becomes spiritual. So it, if we're going to do that, it'd be very very helpful to look at the root. Well, what does it look like, and, and where does it come from? And when we learn these things, then we're better able to deal with them and get rid of them. So, um, as I said, um, we're going to talk about that which pertains to being carnally minded because to be carnally minded would sabotage a believer's ability to mature to a full-grown spiritually minded man. So, as believers walk in this spiritual endeavor, okay, excuse me, I'm sorry, as believers we walk in a supernatural endeavor. This then becomes a serious obstacle that needs to be overcome if we're walking in a manner that cuts that off. What I'd like to touch on today is first of what. What is carnal exactly? This is examined more closely in the book, but um, let's see here. I'm sorry, I'm distracted here. This is... Um, this is more. This is examined more closely in the book. But in addition to this, I'd like to discuss the why, as I touched on earlier. Why are we carnally minded? We'll be looking at scriptures um, this morning that reveal the root in ourselves that would cause us through that, even though we're genuine in our love of Christ and our well-meaning in our walk, we still operate in a carnally minded manner. So what I'd like to do to, be get, to get started on would be to reveal and discuss what is carnal exactly. The root of carnality is to be apart from divine influence and therefore prone to sin and opposed to God. Carnal is a sense of reason without the spirit, and as such, it's weak with respect to knowledge. It is um, of science and learning, and it's acquired through the senses. So this is what we're seeing in Genesis. We're talking about the tree of life. That would be our scripture versus the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that would be when we come up with the carnal knowledge of our experience. And we've talked about that a lot today with regards to making our experience the foundation of our truth. The instruction received in 1 Timothy 6, 20 to 21 is to avoid worldly chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. In some of your King James Version, it would be falsely called science, which, have, which some have professed and gone astray from the faith. Okay, Paul here uses the phrase of what is falsely called knowledge. Knowledge is first used in Scripture in Genesis 2.17, so we're going to go back to first use to help us understand. The tree of knowledge of good and evil, of which Adam and Eve were forbidden to eat, is first mentioned here. This word knowledge is that which is gained through the senses, the intellect. It translates science in Latin. So science operates from the realm of the physical world. Its basic tenet is to answer the question why, which any discerning person would understand that this might be in direct conflict to faith, really. For a believer who is spiritually alive, operating from a knowledge that is worldly or rooted in man's understanding and based on what can be understood only by the senses, and from a knowledge that is unable to appraise spiritual things, is false and will lead him away from the faith. We see as we study the root of this word knowledge that its first use in Scripture relates to that which man can acquire outside of the influence of the Holy Spirit. The next question then is why? Why do we do this as believers continue to function under this paradigm? Well, after the fall, man was spiritually cut off from God. He was spiritually dead, and therefore, this kind of knowledge was the only knowledge available. And to make matters worse... As man grows up into this type of knowledge, he very often grows up in pride over what he has attained for himself. This is now double jeopardy. 
he falls prey to both carnality and knowledge and pride in what he knows, making it more difficult to relinquish. That's our starting point. It's everybody's starting point. Unfortunately, the only way believers can be spiritual is to not be a carnally-minded man. So this is something that can be acquired not by adding to so much, but more by the taking away. So that's what I'd like to talk about today is just some scriptures that are giving us insight with regards to that. So the first scripture I'd like to talk about is Titus chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. The context here is believers in general specifically those who would qualify to be elders, which we all know, mature, the more ready to apprehend divine things. What does Titus 1.15 tell us? It says, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is undefiled. They profess that they know God, but in their works they deny him. Being abominable, disobedient, and under every good work, reprobate. Well, there are some pretty strong words in this verse. Let's just unpack this a little bit. So he's talking about what qualifies someone to be an elder in the church. What qualifies them to be the one more ready to apprehend divine things? Well, what he's saying here is this is a disqualifying factor. They are defiled. They have a defiled mind. To defile means to dye with another color, to stain pollute or contaminate. So this person has a mind that's been colored or dyed another color. It's not the color of Christ. It's not the color of the truth of God's word. It could be any other color of the rainbow, but it's a different color. It's the color of the kingdom of darkness. Okay? So this is their mind. It has been dyed. It has been stained with another color. He goes on to say that they profess that they know God but in works, they deny him. That word deny means to not know or to show to be estranged. So they profess to know him. They speak that they know him, but in their works, they don't know him. <clears throat> What's very important to note with this word deny is the connotation in this particular Greek word is not such to the degree as the to loss of salvation. This isn't saying that they're denying Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's not what this is saying. That's not the connotation. <clears throat> of this word. So this is important because now if that's the truth, then any believer can qualify for this. And this is what needs to be uprooted in our, our lives and understanding. So in their works, they prove to not know him, therefore being abominable, disobedient, and every good work reprobate. So let's go back. Unto the pure, all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled, polluted, and unbelieving. Unbelieving is not believing in Jesus for salvation. That word unbelieving used here is unbelieving in the truthfulness of everything that was made known about Christ and everything that was made known through Christ. This is not a believing in Christ for salvation. This is not believing in the things that he made known. That's what this whole section of this book has been about, changing our minds and believing what he has made known. But these are believers that are unbelieving believers. Why do they not believe everything that was made known through Christ? Because they have allowed their minds to remain stained with another color. This causes them to be abominable, disobedient, and to every good work reprobate. Reprobate, another interesting word. It means to be unfit for something. Well, that's perfect because what's the context here? Who is fit to be an elder? He's saying that they're disobedient. They're not walking in obedience to the fullness of the word because they're unbelieving believers whose mind has been changed and stained with a different color. Therefore, they're unfit to be an elder. All right? So that is one of um, the scriptures that help us to understand that there is this issue that we need to be dealing with, and that is what's going on in our minds. Is it stained with another color? Is it then stained with another belief system? So Ephesians 4, 17 to 18 says this, Therefore I say, test, therefore, um, excuse me, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Your scriptures might say futility. It's the same Greek word. 
having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So we are henceforth not to walk. That's present infinitive, a cessation of an action already in progress. So you're already walking like a Gentile. You're a believer walking like a Gentile. This is the reality. This is the reality of believers. This is what Paul is saying to these Ephesians, and this is a letter to us. You are to cease an action already in progress. Quit walking like other Gentiles walk. Well, how is that? Well, you're walking in the vanity of your mind, that which is devoid of truth and appropriateness. We all know truth is that which is in accord or in agreement with the divine nature. What is appropriate is that which can be reasonably expected. So quit walking like the Gentiles. You're walking in a manner that is not in accord with the divine nature. That is not what can be reasonably expected. And as a result of that, your understanding is darkened. We talked about this in our lesson on spiritual-minded man, spirituality. We have been enlightened, or the definition of enlightened, we have been illuminated. But this mind is darkened versus being illuminated. Through ignorance, we've talked about the, the definition of revelation, that you may be filled with all revelation, the removal of ignorance. That's a spiritual man. He has enlightened or illuminated. He has spiritual revelation, the removal of ignorance. So this has caused them to be blind in their heart. What's the remedy for this? We continue reading verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That renewed is repent, change your mind. That's what we've been repeating, and here it is affirmed. And we talked about this in the, um, the lesson on being spiritual-minded. The verb tense, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is where the rubber meets the road. Present tense, infinitive mood, middle voice, right? So present, it's a continuous action. Infinitive mood, at any time this is being done. We're talking to renewing your mind. It's continuously being done at any time it's being done. More significantly, it's in the middle voice. What does that mean? It means the subject acts upon itself. This is not something God does to you. This is not something Jesus does for you. This is something you do to yourself. This is an act of humility and submission to your king and his word. And you do it to yourself. You're a subject to this. And you make yourself fall into line. So that's... Um, Another thing we're guarding against, we want to guard against being defiled in our mind. We want to guard against a vain, empty understanding, you know, a mind that's polluted or stained a different color, um, you know, a mind that is not in agreement with the divine nature, nor what can be reasonably expected. In addition to this, we look at Matthew 16, 12. How is it that you do not understand that I spoke to you, not concerning bread, but you should be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he told them not to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So let's look at our key words. Beware. So here is an, you know, a warning, a strong warning. This means to attend to oneself, to give heed to oneself, to guard oneself, all right? To be on one's guard, against a thing so this is something that we are we are armoring ourselves up or protecting ourselves we're being aware that this could be happening to us of the leaven <clears throat> so the leaven is that which has a tendency to infect others that which when applied influences thoroughly and it pervades something in scripture leaven pictures sin it's not a good thing what is this influencing? What is it pervading a thing? Well, what's the thing it's influencing and pervading? The doctrine of the Pharisees. Doctrine, by definition, that which man teaches, that which is taught. So what Jesus is saying to his disciples is you need to guard yourself, attend to yourself, give heed to yourself, guard yourself against the teachings, guard yourself against that which is taught and influences you and is thoroughly pervasive. Another scripture would be Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. Jesus said to the Sadducees, you do err 
not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. That word error, we think, oh, they're goofing. They're making a mistake. They're, you know, they're living life in a manner that's wrong. That word error means to cause others to stray, to lead others astray, to lead aside from the right way. This word is packed with the connotation that this is someone who is wrong in their belief system and teaching it to others. So what is wrong? They do not know the power, dunamis, miracles. God operates in a miraculous, supernatural way. He's a, he's a supernatural God, and if you're going to be walking with him, then you're going to have to join him. He's supernatural. You're going to have to be supernatural. And if you don't understand that, and you're not, then you're, you're going to err because you're going to teach other people that they can't be supernatural either. Okay, that's we see that in Hebrews chapter three. You know, my people always air my heart in their hearts because they have not known my ways. <clears throat> in First um, Corinthians two six, howbeit we speak wisdom that um, which is um, howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect wisdom, which is insight um, imparted from God with regards to His opinion on the matter. We speak this wisdom, insight um, imparted from God, among those that are perfect, the more ready to apprehend divine things. Yet not, we don't speak, we do not speak the wisdom of the world, carnal. We do not speak the wisdom of the world, that word is carnal, apart from divine influence, and therefore weak with respect to the, to the precise and correct knowledge of God's will. Okay, nor of the princes of this world that have come to naught, vanity, emptiness. Who are these princes? Princes are those who by virtue of their power, or excuse me, those who by virtue of their position and training wield great influence. This is an indictment against your pastors who are operating in a manner that they're speaking a carnal wisdom. And this is bearing a second witness in the scriptures in Ezekiel 34, 17. Where God says, you know, declare unto the people, I will make a separation between the sheep and the sheep, between the rams and the he goats. In Old Testament, rams and he goats were another way of referencing the spiritual leaders of the people. <clears throat> so we're seeing here that as believers, we are to um, be careful to know and to understand that our mind can be colored with the wrong thinking and it can be apart from accordance with the divine nature. Okay. And that we need to know that this is the truth that we need to know about. And it's a reality that we need to be aware of and guard ourselves against the leaven of a doctrine, a teaching that is um, pervasive, that is leading an erring and, and going astray by the princes, those who have positions of authority in the church. And finally, Matthew 5, 24, excuse me, Matthew 5, 19 speaks this. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So before you start telling people what you think and it's not right, you need to remember that you're going to be held accountable for how you teach people. He should be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever shall break one of these least commandments. That word break in the, in the original Greek is annul. It means to declare is not a part of oneself anymore. Okay, it references that of a law or institution to loosen its obligation to either make it void or to do away with it. And if we are being taught by other people to loosen the obligation of any of the commands of, the, of Jesus or to make it void or to do away with it, then this person is going to be least in the kingdom, and that's who we're following. And what I just want to point out here is, you know, do we see a pattern here? Princes, those who wield influence, heir, those who lead others astray, doctrine, that which teaches, you know, and so teach them. These are exhortations in scripture. I'm just going to read just a few more verses and then we'll close here. 
Matthew 15, 3, but he answered and said unto them, why do you transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? We do that all the time. Anytime our church doctrine says that this scripture verse isn't in play today, then, you know, you're transgressing the commands of God for the sake of your tradition. Matthew 59, but in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. John 5:43, I come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. But if another should come in his own name, his church doctrine, his theology, you will receive him. Ephesians 4, 13 to 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, teaching, <laughs> by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they wait to deceive. Colossians 2, 8, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. How is this described? After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. And finally, 1 Timothy 6, 20 to 21, we began with this. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid worldly and empty chatter and oppositions of science, of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. What's this verse saying? O Timothy, O believer, O beloved of God, guard what's been entrusted to you, the word of God, the sacred thing. Avoid those who oppose spiritual truths with carnal arguments. The purpose of reciting all of these verses is not to make people experts in the key words and their definitions, rather merely to expose to the listeners, Adam, to these seldom taught scriptures that are included in the arsenal of God's word for use at the appropriate time. The appropriate time would be when one is engaged in the battle for the mind, that these verses are as a shield to protect against the enemy's lies that would teach that anything taught from the pulpit must be true. So, um, no, we are like, go ahead. Go ahead. No. Yeah, no, I mean, I was just going to, I was just going to concur with what you're saying. I mean, it's so true what, what you see in the church today, you know, um, and it's unfortunate too, because there are so many people that are not walking victoriously because they've been not taught properly, you know, and everything stems down from, from a leadership standpoint, because, you know, in essence, he's kind of the captain of the ship and he will steer the ship or the, or the congregation into the belief system of what, what he believes, you know, and, and if, People believe that they, that person's been divinely placed in their lives, um, and that that may be true in a, in some cases and in a lot of cases. But but what you're seeing though is that uh, this theology is coming out specifically though. When you look at the seminaries, you have a lot of seminaries that are that don't believe in in the miracles and in the healing and the spiritual warfare. They don't believe in this stuff. So now you've got literally people that are getting cranked out in these seminaries that are more so they're not spiritually minded. And yet they're it's leading these people. The well, so to speak. Yes, yes, and um, and and that's unfortunate, you know. And it's literally like it's it's about um the the new man and a new man's way of thinking. Like you are a new person, a new um being. Therefore, you need to think and function under that new new thing. It's it's the same thing. Like I said uh, in one of the prior episodes when I talked about the the car. You know, you've been given, you're not an old car that's getting, you know, buffed up. You are literally a brand new Lamborghini that you've never used before. So you need to go to the manual to figure out how to use this thing. Uh, the unfortunate thing is the old man wants to use it how the old car is being used. You know, it's not a push button start in the old car. It's the key in the engine. So now you're looking for that key in the engine and you're not seeing it. And you're like, oh, well, I don't even know how to drive this thing. You know, and that's where you have the power of the Holy Spirit helping you. That's why you have the scriptures there that are pointing to who uh, you actually are in Christ. There's a lot of people that, through their experience, they have dictated what scripture truly says. And it's unfortunate because that's that's putting their opinion and their pride above what scripture is saying. And then they're not living out the ministry of Christ. And it is simple as this. And then I'll, I'll get back to you, Debbie. I'll hand it back off to you, Debbie. It's as simple as this. Jesus is perfect theology. When you walk into a situation, what would Jesus do? We always hear that. Well, what would Jesus do? 
Now it's like, okay, what would he do? And then do what he would do. So then you got to look at how he functions, how he thought, how, how he thinks, how he prays, how he spends time with the Father. That's what the disciples wanted to know. And in that place, you start becoming him. You start thinking like him. And that's where it's, what you say, the rubber meets the road. Because it's this, the thoughts, the, the, the Christ-mindedness, the, the, the Christ-mindset then dictates the action that you're doing. Of course, if you are caught up into these false belief systems, you're going to shut off that valve for the Holy Spirit to move through you. Okay, Debbie, take it away. Oh, no, that's very, very good. Right. And that was the purpose of, of these scriptures. We are called by God to be spiritually minded. We're to have the mind of Christ. That is, so as he is, so are we in this world. We've thrown that verse out almost every week. This is truth. God has placed in the body of Christ men in positions of authority with giftings that include pastor and teacher. Scripture warns of the possibility that these believers may be operating from a carnal mind in opposition to the knowledge of God, no matter how sincere and genuine their heart is. That was the purpose of, of, of highlighting these verses today. Isaiah 3, 7, and 12 prophesies regarding the last day's deception emanating from the church. On that day, says Isaiah, those who guide you lead you astray and confuse the direction of your path. We are called to be obedient and mature in our walk of faith so that we are able to recognize the mind of God and the will of God. It is every believer's responsibility to know the word of God for himself, that when the teaching of man conflicts with the word of God, he may recognize this. Then he must choose whom he's going to believe and obey. This will be the deciding factor and will determine him to either be carnal or spiritual. So remember, you know, we as believers cannot be spiritually minded if all we do is believe right things while allowing wrong things to remain. It is only in doing both, removing the wrong beliefs and teachings and doctrines that are in error and building and fortifying beliefs that are only true, that which is in accord with the divine nature, that can we as believers walk unhindered as spiritually minded men. So, and the, the purpose today, then what I wanted just to highlight was there are many, many verses in Scripture that warn believers to be aware that the deception that brings destruction and defeat is going to be coming from a place that you trust because that's how you're going to be deceived. That's all part of the deception. And as you, you know, read in the prepare to overcome, this was the foundation of the book. And in Matthew talked about how in the last days, many false Christs will come and many will come in my name and will deceive many. And, was that false Christ, the Christ means anointed. They're going to come in his name. They're going to say, I come in the name of Jesus. What does that come in the name be? I come as a representative. These are your pastors in the pulpit. I come as a representative of Jesus. I come and I represent who he is. I represent what he believes, what he does, and I'm going to teach this through the word. And it says such that if it were possible, even the elect will be deceived. That word, if possible, is not that is is this questionable rather the grammatical structure of that this is a case in point this is true this is a fact it is it is possible and they will be deceived why because the deception is coming from the very midst it's coming from those that they are believing and trusting in and just as you were saying earlier you know satan was smart you know why poison you know an entire country when all you have to do is poison one well and everyone drinks from the same well, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. And that's exactly what has happened. Then, and you know, those that are coming out of a teaching and then so teach others. And that's what he said to the, the Sadducees and Pharisees, cursed are you because 
you know, you go nation to nation, country to country, you know, creating one proselyte after another. And when you do, you make them twice the son of hell as yourself. Why? You're teaching them all the errors in your doctrine and you're multiplying the error. This did not commend them. Jesus was not happy with their evangelical approach. And all these verses are saying is this is our reality in the last days. And the purpose of this was not to attack anyone. This is nothing more than bringing forth the scriptures and the word of God for the purpose of believers to arm themselves. You know, this is not, this is not weaponry of, def- of offense. This is weaponry of defense. This is our defensive weaponry. We are arming ourselves with shielding ourselves against the onslaught of deception that's coming from the very middle and the and the and the, the very um, place that we would naturally rest and trust, and we can't. This is not the time for resting. This is not the time for just trusting. This is not the time to lean back upon our lees. We need to be alert. We need to be vigilant. We need to be aware that if the enemy can bring deception, he's going to be smart with how he does it. That's just common sense. And we need to look at these scriptures and see what they're saying because they're part of the equipping that God has given us to overcome the deception that has come upon the last days Laodicean church. It's made very clear we are in the last days. The church of Laodicea is a last days church. And the entire letter to that that church bears witness to their deception. You think you're rich, but you're poor. You think you have sight, but you're blind. You think you're healthy, but you need no, we were born in this last day's Laodicean church. The deception that we've been born into is a truth that we espouse. And all this is the renewing of their mind and exchanging out the lies for truth and being aware the source of the lies and where they're coming from so that we can better arm ourselves against them and defend ourselves against them and not become as a Pharisee's bringing, you know, evangelizing and bringing others to a faith and teaching them wrong doctrines and making them twice the son of disobedience that we ourselves are. We don't want that. It's not what we want. So that's what this is all about, is arming ourselves with the truths of God's word, which would reveal to us the source of the deception that's going to bring destruction and understanding that this is the reality and, and weaving that into our walk of obedience, causing us to be discerning and matured in our faith. No, that's really good. I know that um, in my life, we had a pastor who was leading the, uh, leading the sheep. They did a fantastic job. He was very spiritually, uh, uh, his stances were, you know, more spiritual, let's say. So he was more spiritually minded and did a fantastic job leading. And the, the church was booming. It was growing. Well, what ended up happening was he got moved to another church. And he, just because he was thinking from a family standpoint and so on and so forth. And then someone moved in the church that we were at. And I know my wife and I, we didn't have any time to pray and so on and so forth. And the leadership said, oh, well, this pastor is really good at X, Y, and Z. And then I asked the question, well, how are they spiritually? Like, what, what is their belief? Like, what do they believe? And the people that put this pastor as the head were like, well, we don't know. We didn't ask that. And I'm like, well, that's everything. I don't care if you are going to work well with the community. I don't care if you're going to do, I don't care. I care if you are a spiritually minded person. Because you're going to need to shepherd these people from a spiritual perspective. Unfortunately, the church, I we ended up leaving, and the church is falling apart. And it's it's a shame. And I would you know praying about it. And there's it's nothing that I I can have could have done differently. But it's going through those experiences that we need to be more aware of what's kind of going on. Like I, I, I was, I was amazing. The spiritual explosion that was happening. And then the enemy knows when they see that, okay, what's the best way to 
get to these people and get this congregation. And at the time, that's that was the plan. And it really revealed to me some things. Now, the main thing, too, is having your mind mind's eye on Christ. But that also means that when you're looking at someone, when you're listening to someone, you have to ask the question, does this person look, act, and resemble Jesus Christ? Does this person look like Christ? Are their actions, their fruit that they're bearing, that of Christ? It's that simple. Are they doing the same works that Jesus was doing? If the answer is yes, okay, good. Now, if the answer is no, well, I don't, or I don't know, well, it's something that you need to know because they should be doing the same things that Jesus did in their life. Or, unfortunately, they're not walking in the Spirit, they're walking in the flesh. You know, and their belief system isn't going to lead you down a path that's going to best make you look like Christ. And it's really important that you have your eyes uh, on, on a person and that you get, you're getting discipled and you're discipling others. And that discipleship comes not with not this knowledge idea, not just with knowing the Word, but knowing the God of the Word and knowing who He is. And I know the enemy has infiltrated a lot of things and twisted a lot of scriptures and is now causing division in the church because of it. And I can only say that the Lord is preparing his people for what's to come. And we need to be, what you said, Debbie, very vigilant. You know, I don't usually allow that many people to pour into me. I have maybe two or three. Because I look at their life and I'm like, that's, I want that. I want that relationship that he has with Christ. You know, now there's other great qualities that a lot of the, the pastors have uh, around the area. A lot of great qualities. And there's some that are, that are not, you know, faulty. I get it. Everyone, you know, like it's from that, from that standpoint. But I, to me, I, I, I just want to, to look at someone and be like, man, that guy has got a heart for the Lord and he's going hard for the Lord and is doing the things that the Lord was doing when he was on earth. That's who I'm going to look at. That's who I'm going to follow. That's who I'm going to listen to because he's got that epignosis, which is the experiential knowledge of the Lord because he's actually getting on the bike and riding it. And that's why it's so important. Um, Lastly, I'll say, you know, there was a, there was a pastor who went to Africa, and he was a church planter. You know, there's a this American church church planter, and he goes to this gentleman, and he's like, "How do you do it? How do you plant churches in in Africa?" And the guys looked at him and says, "Well, you know, usually when someone gets risen from the dead." People just start coming, and they, that's how church gets started. And the pastor was like, okay, that's funny. No, no, really, how do you do it? And the guy who was like, that's what happens. The person gets raised from the dead, and church plant just kind of happens. And, it, and, and that's, it, it blew this guy out of the water. Every theology that he grew up in from a seminary standpoint was now front and center in his face and exposed. And he had a you choice do to make. Air in your hearts. I'm sorry to interrupt. You Go do ahead. air in your hearts because you do not know the power, the miracles of God. Right, right, Go ahead. right. And it's so true. And then that's what you know. Even Paul says he's like, I don't. I want to. When I'm going here, I, I don't want to know these people's talk, but their power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the relationship with the Holy Spirit, and the movement of the Holy Spirit in the person's life. And that's and and that is exactly what you know. Even Jesus was saying, if you don't believe me and the words that are coming out of my mouth, believe the works. So what happened is they saw a work that was supernaturally done in Africa, and it started a church. And this person had to deal with it, this, this, this American. And sure enough, he came back and, ha- and shared some of this stuff. 
Now, it wasn't well received. And it's just unfortunate because then people, oh, was he really dead? It's like, we're not dealing with a primitive people over there. We're dealing, they, the guy had a pulse and then he didn't have a pulse. All right. And then he was dead. And then the person had a pulse after a day of being dead with no pulse. And that's what happened. And it's that type of um, mindset that needs to get rewired. And it is important. It's kind of like your brain waves are going in one way for your entire life. You become saved. And they need to start actually going in the opposite direction. And that can be some trouble. There's some stumbling blocks through that. But that's why you have the Word of God. And the Word of God speaks for itself. And you have the Holy Spirit in you that's going to uh, discern and, and translate what this is actually saying. You know, the commentaries... I don't do them anymore. I don't, I, don't, I don't go to a commentary anymore because I go to the author, of, and which is the Holy Spirit. And I go to, really though, I go to the, the Greek and the Hebrew definition of the actual word because our English language is, is lacking as far as that goes um, just because of how vast the Hebrew and the Greek language is and how the, the simplification of the English language is. And, you know, we have one word that means, you know, uh, and we have one word to, to cover two things, you know, like power and power. Well, one's dunama, dunamis, the other was exousio, like they're two different powers, you know, so we need to look what those those Greek words mean. Are those, uh, and that's how I go about doing it. Uh, and with that being said, we are out of time, and it's it's getting back to this first section. This first section is to free you from who, for who you've been created to be. The old man is dead. The new man is alive. We need to start thinking how God thinks. And we do that through intimacy. We threw that at his feet. And we do that through the meditation on his word day and night and through our humbling ourselves and taking our, our board of everything that we have written and just wipe it clean and say, Lord, I am a clean slate. Write on me and I will go. I will follow you. And have that Holy Spirit just kind of take over at that point. Uh, with that being said, Debbie, do you have anything else to say? No, I think we've about covered it, Adam. Okay, great. And um, well, with that being said, uh, the next section, we finished the first section. Okay, that had the workbook with it. Um, this next section, I, there is going to be a workbook in the mix uh, in the future. But right now, uh, this next section is only in the book, Prepare to overcome. And this next section is called the Royal Priesthood. And the chapter one is the priest of God in the Royal Priesthood section. So I'm looking forward to it. I hope you are too. Uh, with that being said, thank you so much, Debbie, for your time and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too, Adam. <laughs>